How do we know if we can trust the Bible? Isn't it full of errors? Hasn't it been copied so many times nobody has any idea what the original was? Is there any way that history can help us decide? Those are all great questions. Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and this is Bible 805, and today we're going to look at how history helps us answer these questions and how we can trust the Bible as a reliable historical document. As I was thinking about it, I realized that history is like an anchor. Just as an anchor keeps a ship from floating off in any direction, so too history can help tie what we believe to what actually happened. Here's how it works. History helps us answer these questions. When did something happen? Obviously, if it happened last week, we know a lot more about it than if it happened thousands of years ago. Who was involved? In this case, was there a real historical Jesus? What did he do? When did he do it? Next, when did someone write about it? It's one thing to write about someone maybe during their lifetime or a few years afterward. It's another thing to maybe not have anything written for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. How many copies do we have of whatever was written? Just like today, if something's very popular, if people think it's true or of value, lots of copies will be made. Number six, how consistent are the documents with each other? And this is one of the big questions when we come to looking at the Bible. Has the Bible changed? Was it recopied so many times we don't really know what the truth is? Did anybody else write about it? Did historians at the time comment on the things that were written in the documents that we're looking at? And last but not least, where did all these things happen? Did they happen in a real identifiable place or is it just some mythological land? Now we're going to look at each of these in a little bit more detail but what we're going to do as we do this is we're going to look at overall how history evaluates anything. Now number one of course dating is obviously extremely important. Again if something was written shortly after a religious leader lived by someone who knew him personally, it can obviously be trusted to tell a true story more than someone who wrote 200, 400, 1,000 years later and didn't personally know that religious leader. Now, contrary to what a lot of people think, dating documents, finding out when they were really written, really isn't too hard to do. It's really kind of easy once you start studying it. You look at two areas. You look at what was found around the document itself. This is what archaeology helps us do. And then you look at the document itself. Now, first of all, around the document. Now, many of the documents that we use for biblical history and other history also were discovered in groups um, for, for different reasons. Uh, different groups would either leave a library of something or they would hide some documents, their most important ones, whatever it is. We've tended to find things in big groups. The Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, these were found hidden in the cave. Well, we'll get to the scrolls themselves in a minute, but what we're looking at now is what was found around the document. And by this, we mean things like pottery 
and coins. Now pottery actually is a very useful thing to use in dating when something was written. Now just think about it. This again, so much of this stuff, it isn't really difficult or hard or whatever. It's just things you haven't thought about or or um, you're not familiar with. Now on dating pottery, think about this. If you go to a secondhand store, it's really easy to see what are the 70s dishes, which were the ones that were popular then. They're olive green and they've got orange and gold and you go, oh, that was the 70s. Um, your grandmother's dishes, maybe they have pretty little flowers on them and they're very delicate and the, the china might be kind of cracked in a certain way. The more contemporary ones, pure white to show off the food itself. Now, it's easy for us to look at these things and decide when the pottery was created or whatever. And you can see too, those are very narrow time spans. Archaeologists do it in exactly the same ways. Um, just like we know when something was written in the 70s, they look back and for example, there's a certain type of pottery that was very popular during Old Testament times. And this pottery, uh, the Mycenaean culture, this was the early uh, proto-Philistine culture. They had some beautiful pottery that was decorated with sea images and ships and things like that. They were a seafaring people. And so their pottery had had this kind of illustration on it. Now when it comes time to when Israel was divided into Israel and Judea, the two kingdoms, each one of those kingdoms had very different pottery. When archaeologists find caves or whatever with those two different things, they can tell, oh my, you know, this was in Judea, this was in Israel. When we get closer to the time of Christ, many of you have seen the pottery that was popular then. It's, it's in a lot of the history books because it was that Greek style that um, the black and the red glaze on it with the, the classical Greek faces, people, the different gods that were portrayed, etc. Now that was what the wealthy people had, but then you had rather different pottery that the poor people had or that was used in a more just um, uh, utilitarian way. In fact, the, some of the scrolls that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in, some of the pottery the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in, it was very interesting, one of the reasons why they knew, or they suspected early on until they did a little more confirmation that it was from Qumran, is the only other samples of pottery of exactly that kind were found in Qumran. So they obviously said, well, if these were found in Qumran, and we believe they were made there, when they found the stuff in the caves, they're going, oh, obviously, these manuscripts came from Qumran. So you see, this it isn't really terribly difficult. That's something that's, that's used quite a bit. And there are um, a numerous other things that they can use like this. Uh, scarabs that were found in the Egyptian tombs. They did a certain style at different eras. And, and every civilization has certain things that they did at different times that we can use to date when something was placed in that particular area. One of the most important ones are coins. Coins were very important because unlike the ones that we have today that tend to be the same through a long period of time, in ancient history whenever a new emperor or in fact even a new ruler took over a certain area, they only wanted their coinage to be used. And not only that, whoever happened to be in charge at that time, they had their images stamped 
on that coin. For example, we have some that go back to Alexander the Great, and we actually have a pretty good idea of what he looked like because the images of him, the drawings, the ones on the coins, they all look pretty much the same. Um, I'm not going to describe this to you, but if you go back and you search for images of Cleopatra, let me just say she doesn't exactly look like we imagine she looked like, but it, it's just kind of interesting how they had the, the different coins. And so for example, if you find coins in a tomb, and just like people today, people just drop their coins all over the place, who knows why. For example, in the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever, if we found something, a coin stamped with, say, the image of Caesar Augustus, and maybe a few earlier emperors, but nothing later, we would know, well, probably the latest this could have been put away in this cave was during the time of Caesar Augustus. So again, something is very important, but extremely simple to look at. Now then the geography. This is something that's very important, and that is, are we talking about real places? If we look at a written manuscript, does it talk about Atlantis? Well, you know, if it talks about Atlantis, we know that it's probably a mythological story because as much as science fiction loves to come up with uh, different ideas of what Atlantis looked like or if it was even real or, or whatever, we don't know. And so if something talks about Atlantis, we kind of go, well, you know, that's great story, but not reality. Very, very different than when we read, for example, in the Christian Bible, that this took place in Bethlehem in Judea at the time of Herod the king. Very specific location. So we need to look at does archaeology confirm the location of biblical writings. There was a real Jericho. There was a real Jerusalem in ancient times. They have found what they consider to be the ruins of Solomon's stables. We can go on and on and on on how we need to, if we're going to trust what a document says, we ought to be able to, as much as is possible, go back to the places that it talks about. Now, you might think that that's obvious. Well, of course, you, you need to go back and verify things. But when we get to the next lesson, where I talk about how unique the Christian Bible is, this is not something that is consistent in all religions. So you'll have to wait till we go into that uh, in a little more detail, but do keep in mind that geography is very important in the history of something. Next, did anybody else write about it? Now this really isn't very different than how the algorithms work in social media today. What I mean by that, think about it. The more likes or interaction a post gets, the more popular it is, the more it will be passed on. And you would hope that it's true or funny or, you know, whatever it is. But the more that it's copied and passed on, we assume at least it's a big deal in some ways. The past is a little different. Now, what was considered important people made copies of and they passed it on. And so if we want to know if something was considered true at the time, how many copies do we have of it? It's just kind of a simple thing. This is where we have to be very careful of some of the things that you will read on these, uh, you know, television specials or, you know, something that you'll see, whatever. One or two documents that are totally off the wall, totally different. Uh, they might tell us shocking or uh, 
similar story about some biblical character, for example, if there's only one or two of them, we don't put as much weight on them as when there are many, many uh, comments. Now, not only that, not only did other people copy them and distribute them, but did other people write about the same events? Now, this is particularly important if the writer about those events was a hostile writer. And this is where we get some of the most interesting writing about the Christian faith because some of the best stuff that we have that shows how the early church cared for the poor and cared for people outside of it is in the writings of the Romans who just hated them. And we particularly, some of the most interesting things, and I'm, I'm going to do a, a whole podcast on some of this history in a while. I, I actually did my master's thesis on some of it. But anyway, uh, the, there's this one great quote where some of the enemies of Christianity lament how the Christians, quote, not only take care of their own poor, but ours as well. And the, the writer that did that, the pagan writer that wrote that, he says, you know, how, how can we expect to get anywhere? They're always doing all these wonderful things for people. And we also know, too, that one of the things that the Christians did, because the Romans wrote about it, because it really irritated them, is that in, in Rome, you had a perfectly good right as the father of a Roman family to decide whether your child could live or die when it was born. And if you already had, say, three daughters, and your wife gave birth to another daughter, you would go, I do not want four daughters. So it was perfectly legal for that father to take the child out and literally leave it on the trash heap outside of the town. That was called exposing the infants. Well, what the Christians would do is they would keep an eye on the trash heaps and when babies were left there they would take them home and they would raise them and again the roman world just you know this is crazy why are they doing that and they wrote about it and the church wrote about it because of course they they valued human life and they love these children and they raised them and so these are things that when we find these other writings and and i will be giving numerous examples as we go along it's really fascinating to see how even the enemies of the Christian faith, for example, wrote about it. And we should look at that with other religions also, where other people commenting upon what was going on. Now, in summary, we have all these ways of determining the date and the truthfulness of the documents by looking at what surrounds them. We look at the pottery, we look at the coins, we look at the geography, we look at did anybody else write about it. But what about the documents themselves? How can we actually date these old manuscripts, somebody comes up with something that they say is an old manuscript, well, how do we know that that's important? And again, it's really not very hard to do. And look at, again, just sort of normal lifetime practice. Now, think about it. You can tell a lot about a manuscript just looking at it, even if you aren't a scholar. For example, how, let's think about newspapers. How is color used in newspapers. Now some of you might be too young to remember, but there was a day when newspapers were entirely black and white. And that's how they are in, in a lot of local papers still. They're just black and white. That's all they are. Now in 1982, USA Today shocked the newspaper world when they came out with four color pictures. That was a really big deal. 
And so you would know that if you studied newspaper history, that probably something that has color in it most likely was printed after nineteen after the 1980s or so. So you have a good idea. You can probably, some of you, picture some of the old-fashioned newspapers that were written during pioneer times. They look very, very different than the newspapers today. And if we had an old newspaper next to a new one, and again, fairly short time spans, easily we could tell what was written when. Now, not only the use of color and the basic layout and stuff like that, but think about how you wrote as a child. You printed everything in really big letters. Then as an adult, or even as you got, got older in school, you learned to write cursive, uppercase, lowercase. In the past, you wrote on a, usually on a big yellow tablet. And now you write on nice paper or, or whatever as an adult. Again, so similar. Uh, documents that are older are written on a certain type of paper. They're written in a certain style. The newer ones are written, again, on a different type of writing material, different style. Now, here's how it breaks down with the biblical documents. Now, anything that was that's, uh, the historians find that was written on papyrus and that's where they took these reeds and they smushed them together and then they put some going across and they smushed them down on that if you actually look at pictures of old documents on wikipedia or whatever you can actually see those sort of little cross hatches you can see how they actually made it things from uh, the 200s and earlier were pretty much just done on papyrus parchment or vellum is that is made from the skins of animals and that was used from the 300s on so if we just know what it was written on it's easier to date it then also how the letters were constructed again you printed real big when you were a little kid in the earlier history of human writing the language or the the way it was written is called uncial and what that means, the UN, that's like uno, you know, one, everything was the same size and it was all capital letters. And that's what they did in writing from the first to the eighth centuries when then something called minuscule, which was upper and lower case, was invented. So again, very easy to tell, you know, within a certain range when something was written. Now, not only that, but all of the early things. I don't know how they read this stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I know a little bit of Greek and had to take Latin in graduate school and stuff like that, but I cannot read these old things. They squished all the words together. It's, they're just all running lines of letters. And so we know that if we come across something that was on papyrus, that was written with the uncial, all capital letters, and everything's all squished together. We know that that was a very that's a very early document, and then on the use of color, this was not, this didn't come into the documents until really during the monastic times from about 900 or so on and some of you can just sort of picture in your mind's eye those really pretty illustrated um, old manuscripts and stuff like that that happened later in the dating so let's look at now in our mind's eye again and I'm, I'm hoping to get some other um, classes up on the web that illustrate some of these things but for right now all you've got is my voice but I think you'll be able to get the idea we have some very early papyrus manuscripts that were found where it's all the NCL, 
the words all run together and when we found them and what they were with we're pretty certain that we have an actual fragment of John's Gospel from around 200 AD. It was not an original, but a very, very early copy. And they have since found, and there's very intriguing things that they're finding in some of the little bitty pieces that they're now analyzing from the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have a piece that from that they can date from between 50 to 125 um, AD, and actually the 50 dates probably a lot sooner because we know that the Dead Sea Scrolls, the majority of them, were placed in the caves prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in 70 AD. So we have some really, really old fragments. And we have one that there's still discussion in the scholarly world, but they, there, uh, many scholars believe that it is an early copy of the Gospel of Mark, which would make sense because um, he wrote it about that time. So we have some really early manuscripts. Now, not only do we have these fragments, but from about 300, we have the complete Bible. And a very interesting story on one of these, a gentleman named Constantine Tischendorf was uh, going around the the Middle East and looking for, this was in the 1800s, he was looking for uh, early manuscripts. And he stopped at St. Catherine's Monastery at the foot of Mount Sinai and the monks were very hospitable and it was cold that night and so they bring into his room some kindling for him to uh, build a fire and he looks at this basket and he realizes oh my goodness this is not kindling these are ancient manuscripts and of course he gets very very excited and he says do you have more of these (laughs) you know give me more I'm really cold no we don't know if he said that but um he, uh, you know, he, he asked for more of them. Now, unfortunately, he let his excitement be a little bit too much. And so the monk said, well, yes, we do. Why? Are these really important? And he goes, yes, don't you realize? And it took many, many years for him. Uh, once the monks realized that they had something very, very valuable, it was like, well, you can leave now. We're keeping these. And uh, finally, he was able to get what became known as the Codex Sinaiticus. And this is a very early copy of the entire Bible from around the 300s. And then we have similar ones. We have the Codex Vaticanus, which was discovered in the Vatican libraries. We do not know exactly how it got there. But again, it's been dated between 300 and 350. And we also have the Codex Alexandrinus that came from Alexandria between 400 to 440. And we have, these are really extraordinary pieces then we have sort of a big time span where we don't really have a lot of Bibles or copies made. That was what is often referred to as the Dark Ages. But then, around 900, when the monasteries sprung up, they started copying a lot of these old things. But they they had a lot of time on their hands. Um, So when they made their copies, they also tended to do these beautiful illustrations. And by this time, too, we had the upper and lowercase writing. So when you get to some of these older medieval manuscripts, you can tell, oh, that was done in medieval times. And you look at one that was done earlier, and you can see they're very, very, very different. All of this looking at where things came from, who wrote them, how they were copied or handwritten, whatever. This 
uh, is often called a sort of big deal uh, academic term source criticism and it goes into these things and helps us determine this and the term criticism it doesn't mean whether it's right or wrong it just helps us determine where things came from. Now what's exciting in doing that is we can look at, we can compare ancient documents and by looking at when it was written, what are the earliest copies that we have, how many copies we have, what was the time gap between when it was written and the copies that we have, this helps us, history helps us when we understand the history of these manuscripts determine what might be more trustworthy or more reliable. Now I'm going to just, I, I'm going to put a copy of this chart on the website www.bible805 and this is a brief chart of what you can find in many many other things. It helps us to see the sort of documentary evidence and historical verification that we have for the manuscripts that make up the Christian Bible. Now let me just jump in and say and look at one of uh, a couple of them just from secular history. Herodotus was considered one of the earliest of true historians. Now he was Greek. He wrote around 480 to 425 BC. The earliest copies though that we have of his writings come from the 900s and when you see this chart you'll see a number of them are from the 900s and again that's when the medieval monks got a hold of copies and started making their own. That's about a 1350 year gap. Now Herodotus upon whom we rely for all of ancient Greek and the history of our Western civilization and things like that. We just have eight copies of what he wrote. Now that doesn't seem like a lot, but they're all, they all pretty much say the same thing and we trust them as reliable historical documents. Plato, who everyone has heard of, and we know that he formed a lot of the philosophy that our world still uses in many areas. He lived not not too much later, around 400 BC. Again, earliest copies we have of his, around the 900s, the medieval monks, 1300 years gap there, and we have seven of his documents. Again, that's considered plenty. We Nobody doubts the historical accuracy of what it says about Plato and his life and his words. Caesar was actually a historian as well as a military man and a ruler. He wrote the Gaelic Wars. That's where we get most of our Roman history. He wrote just prior to the time of Christ between 144 BC and the earliest copies we have of him from the 900s. Here we have about a thousand year gap and we have 10 copies of his. Again, 7 to 10 copies. This is great. We consider this good source criticism, good historical veri verification. But then the New Testament, it was written between 50 to 100 AD. That is a more liberal estimate. Many scholars today believe that the New Testament was actually completed prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, which was in 70 AD, and I personally agree with that, but that's not real critical to determine right now. What is important that even with this time span, we have documents from fort, uh, 114 AD, we have entire books, manuscripts that were written, that were copied in 200 AD. We have most of the New Testament copies from 
250 AD, and we have the complete New Testament, in fact, the complete Bible from around three in the 300s. Now, this is absolutely extraordinary. There's only between a 50 to a 200-year time gap then. And instead of six to seven to 10 copies, we have over 5,366 original language documents and copies, and we're finding more all the time. We have not exhausted what has been buried or lost or put away or whatever. So 5,366 documents, plus we have over 15,000 translations of these various works. Obviously, this material was extremely popular and important because people made copies of it, translated it from the earliest days. Now, that's very good, but there's one more important question. Uh, did these copies change? Or are they all different? You know, one of the biggest criticisms of the Christian Bible is that it's been copied so many times that the original meaning was lost, that we can't tell what in the world, you know, how do you know? You copy something over two or three times and it changes, or you play that game of gossip where you just say something to one, you know, it all changes. Yeah, well, that's not quite how it went. The, again, once again, the answer is really kind of easy, particularly since the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Now, most everybody's heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, you know, why are they such a big deal? Well, it isn't just that they were a huge collection of a lot of early writings, but what was really significant is these, and without a shadow of a doubt, these were written and put away just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. So about the time of Christ. So these are some of the earliest things we have, if you fast forward now, 1,300 years later, to the medieval monks who um, we have their copies of the Bible, and that's what we've made our Bible from, so ours are very similar to what they were using in the monasteries at that time. We have about 1,300 years, many, many, many copies made, and the, when you compare the different manuscripts, they are virtually identical. And we have hundreds, thousands of copies. It's the same way. The scriptures were handled with so much care. Yeah, there might be a little variation here or there, a word, a capitalization. Nothing major. No big text. Absolutely nothing that touches on any of the major beliefs of the Christian faith. And this is extraordinarily important. Now, once again, because we can historically trust a document because we can say from right after when the events happened to what we have today the story has not changed. This is not absolute proof that we can trust the Bible as spiritual reality. But it's a pretty good foundation. Now to summarize again, historical evidence that confirms the usefulness of true manuscript dating is still a long way from asserting God as the author of the Bible and believing everything in it. But it's very hard to even begin that journey if you can't trust the documents. Now, where are we going to go from here? The next lesson, we will talk about why the Christian Bible is unique from all other scriptures, the things that I've told you, I want you to keep those in mind because we'll be going over and comparing them with the scriptures of other religions in a very respectful manner. Then we'll look at the Old Testament, its history and reliability, how we got it. Then we'll look at the, the Apocrypha, those books in between 
the Old and New Testaments. And I have on my notes the history and reliability or lack thereof in this case. I think you'll find some really interesting things about that. We'll look at the New Testament its history and reliability, and we will also go into what are called the Gnostic Gospels. These have become very well known today, the Gospel of Thomas and books like that. Then we will cover the topic of canonicity, how we got the books we have in the Christian Bible, and then we'll end with how we got the English Bible. That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other materials at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, a writer, and teacher for Jesus. Now I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.